And again, um, in Sharonda's book, these messages and more result in many asexuals and lesbians, specifically asexuals and lesbians, spending years, I, I, I identify with this, spending years mistakenly believing that unsatisfying, miserable, and traumatic experiences with heterosexuality are normal and they're unavoidable and they're also to be expected. Therefore, we may never even consider, up until many years later, hi, hello, me, that we are incompatible and misaligned or at odds with heterosexuality itself. Me, 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 me. I didn't know that for years, because guess what the message was for me for years? Women have to abide by men. Women have to provide for men. Women have to be sexually ready for men. This is Single and Probably Asexual with Kendra K. Well, 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 we are back. Single and Probably Asexual, Kendra K. Compulsory Sexuality, Part 2. Red Wine and Ice, also Part 2. Uh, so far, these have been my only two episodes where I am accompanied by a glass of wine. And if you listen to Compulsory Sexuality Part 1, you probably understand why. So today, I thought it was only fitting to be accompanied again by a glass of red wine with a ice cube in it. Because Compulsory Sexuality Part 2 is going to be just as big of a doozy as Compulsory Sexuality Part 1. Um, again, um, I want to shout out the author to the book, Refusing Compulsory Sexuality, A Black Asexual Lens on Our Sex-Obsessed Culture, Sharonda J. Brown. Pronouns are they, them. Uh, they're fantastic. They're fantabulous. I have finished this entire book. I have learned so much. I lent a copy even to my cousin, who is a straight woman in a heteronormative relationship, but I just, I, this book is so interesting and I can't say more good things about it. And even if you are someone on the opposite end of some sort of spectrum, or even if you're listening to this podcast and you don't identify as asexual, it's always just cool to get a different viewpoint and a different perspective. And the writing uh, from Sharonda is just fucking incredible. So I couldn't not recommend this book to another person, especially a close family member of mine, which I'm very much looking forward to when they are done reading the book so we can have a conversation about it because it's good. So recommend it. I will also be reading some more lines from the book, um, more from Sharonda's voice themselves and yeah, we're going to be going into some other facts at the end of the episode. Stuff that I have been thinking about kind of since for a while, but more recently looking into what 
you know, compulsory sexuality is and me thinking back on things or times in my life where that was present and looking even further into some big examples of compulsory sexuality that every single one of us know about. So that will be at the very end. And yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about that. And thank you all for being here. And again, if you've already listened to part one, thank you for joining me for part two. Um, And if you haven't listened to part one, I highly recommend listening to part one. You can definitely listen to these two, you know, you can listen to part two first if you want, and then go back and listen to part one. I'm trying to keep the bulk of what I chat about in both of these episodes kind of separate. Um, So compulsory compulsory sexuality part one was just the average definition of it, um, its relation to asexuals, um, and mostly about who and what compulsory sexuality upholds, which is men, more specifically white men. All right, so we are just going to get right into it. Okay, so I am on this specific episode, I'm going to largely talk about compulsory sexuality with women. Um, compulsory sexuality within the black community and black women. Um, And we'll touch a little bit at the very end on some asexuality and then uh, some examples of compulsory sexuality, like I mentioned at the end. So most of us know this and most of us know this now because we have had time and the knowledge and resources to develop these, you know, statistics and interview people and figure out maybe a different, you know, viewpoint on sex, especially from the women, a woman's standpoint. Uh, But, you know, back in the day, women, along with not having a lot of rights, were also, you know, we were deemed not to not have a certain level of sexual drive or appeal. And you often see, you know, women being, especially, you know, back in the you know, 1700s, 1800s, early 1900s, women are forced to be in this box of being the home, you know, the homekeeper and the the nurse and the mother, the sole parent, the person who cleans the house, all of this stuff. And sadly, that is still uh, in a lot of couples and relationships that's kind of still upheld to this day. But when it comes to sex, women are often the most ostracized group in having sex slash experiencing sexual desire. Uh, In the cis heteronormative world, the default has always been the man, men. And of course, traditionally, men 
have a higher sex drive. And this has been known. This is something that is still highly talked about today. Men thinking about sex like 13 times within the span of 60 seconds. Um, and notoriously, women oftentimes do not have the same level of sex drive as men. And again, oftentimes women need some other sort of stimulation rather than just penis and vagina sex. Um, but because women don't share the same type of level of sexual desire as men, back in the day, women were often overlooked as or often looked at as having issues and like medical issues going as far as having medical issues um, and often being the group of people within the sexual dynamic that they were the ones who needed to improve themselves in order to accommodate their male partners and to accommodate them sexually. So I, as I said earlier, we've, you know, we are at this time in life where women are just not assumed to feel a certain way as men do. And notoriously, women don't have as high as a sex drive as men. I think it's probably genetics or biology, um, but we we don't. But a lot of women were forced to be put in the position to have sex because, I mean, compulsory sexuality was created and is created for men. And... Um, you know, people who are women or identify as women or have a vagina, it's almost like their right to comply with people who have a penis. Um, based solely on the anatomy of a woman's body or people who have a vagina, because they have a vagina, our bodies are were meant to receive and more specifically receive a penis and also help maintain that man's erection in our own natural cavity. Uh, sex, it was designed solely for the pleasure of men and men only. And uh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's bizarre to think that so many years ago, so many women were just they were ostracized and they were they were called abnormal and they were forced to go seek medical attention when even if you are in a you know a heteronormative relationship you are a cisgendered man and a cisgendered woman together most often it is still found that women have a hard time pun intended having their own sort of like orgasm and it's because our bodies are built differently and just because we have the physical cavity to receive doesn't mean that we experience the same pleasure as men do and I just it's so disheartening thinking about 
the people who came before us, our people who came before us, our ancestors, who simply had to perform in order to keep their marriage alive, maybe even possibly keep them from being killed or sold off or banished. So sex in relation to women, there it's always been a little conflicting. And I'm just thankful now and today that there are studies and there are open conversations and there is a lot less of that traditional marriage man and woman dynamic, um, even if you are still in a straight relationship. I mean, there are still men out there who think that the woman needs to be doing everything in the house, but I know that there are a lot of couples out there where it's split pretty evenly and we're getting better, um, and, you know, in some areas. Some people are. But it's just so hard to think about, you know, the that like my own lineage of women who came before me who had to just like lay down and shut up. They had a vagina. They could receive penis. Penis means that it must be received and you must comply. And this also is really interesting because this comes in the idea of women faking orgasms, it's almost like, it's almost, and I hate the fact that men are like, oh, why are you faking? That's bullshit. You shouldn't fake with me or all this other stuff. And it's like, yeah, you probably can't do for me what I need. And I think a lot of times when women fake, it's because they're done being, for bad, lack of a better term, fucking plowed. And it probably, and I know this happens with some women, it's uncomfortable if some woman's like cavity isn't that big and they're dealing with someone who is big, it can actually be fucking painful. So when a woman fakes an orgasm, it's probably because she's fucking tired of being in this room with you getting you off while she's just laying there, probably in pain, maybe a little bit uncomfortable, and just wanting this to be over because she knows that she will not get what she needs because oftentimes men are very selfish when it comes to that sexually. They won't take the time to help their female partners get to where they need because... Men are men. Men think they are owed sex. Men think they are better than women. This whole world has been to benefit men. So it's not surprising. But it's just, it just is what it is. So I think it's kind of funny thinking now on faking orgasms and mostly women faking orgasms. They just want it fucking done and over with. And I don't blame them. I mean, I will admit I have done it too. So sometimes you just got to speed a process up. You know, there is also this incredibly disheartening and very factual fact that Sharonda mentions in their book. It is actually a quote from Evian Whitney. Um, pronouns are they, she, and they are a sex educator. And at one point... Evian 
said that a sexual psychotherapist once told her, have sex. It's what you're supposed to do. That's your duty as a wife to have sex with your husband. The more you do it, the more these instincts will come up in you. Vino? God, I hate that line so much. And I hate it because it's true. That's your duty as a wife is to have sex with your husband. And it's just so sad that so many people are in this predicament today where these, because this is the viewpoint, this has been the viewpoint since the dawn of time. And this is the viewpoint to a lot of older generations that are still here today. And it's, it's, it's fucking horrible. It really is. I hate it. Um, but again, this world was designed for men, for the pleasure of men and for the purpose of men. Um, yeah, it's, and it's, and it's just so messed up how that was our baseline. You know, that was our, this is our base level. Our base level is over sexually hypersexualized men. That is our base level. That is what we have built off of. That's why there was such an uproar when, you know, um, two women who identified as lesbian were together. That was a big no-no for a lot of people still today, sadly. But back in the day, that was a big no-no because women couldn't have sex together. No, you had, it was, you have to have sex with a man. And then of course, if you were asexual on top of that, or just asexual in general, you were real fucked up. You're not going to have sex with a man or sex ever. No, 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 no. That must be fixed. You have to go seek help for that. Um, Another little excerpt in Sharonda's book, they said, is there is also this pastime of disregarding or even demonizing engagement with the clitoris. Remember how I said most women need some other sort of stimulation in order to complete as a man would complete? Here it is. So there was uh, demonizing engagement with the clitoris, with the lights of Sigmund Freud declaring clitoral orgasms to be immature and pathologizing those never able to reach an orgasm through penis and vagina sex alone, which nearly 75% of people with vaginas are unable to do. Cultural scripts for cis heterosexuality continually fail people socialized as women, whether asexual or not. 75% of people who identify as being a woman or who are people who have vaginas, 75% are unable to experience the same sort of feelings as our default experiences. It's... I hate it. I hate it because 
with that number still there, women are still expected to perform in a way that is accommodating to men and men alone. When literally a majority of women don't get to experience sexual pleasure in a way that men do. This brings up an interesting topic for just me, myself, and I, because I, before I found the term asexuality, um, I was always so confused with myself, and I was also very sure about the fact that I didn't want to perform a certain way for men because I was expected to. I think this just runs deep within my genetics and my astrological chart. Um, Also with my Gemini sun as Sag risingness. I already said that astrological chart, but just who I am as an individual is very, I'm very independent, a little bit stubborn, and I really do not like to be told what to do. Uh, That's why the traditional job never worked for me. I didn't like, I don't like when people tell me what to do, especially what to do during my day, what to do on my days off. Absolutely not. So this is why I have worked for myself for over 10 years now and have been fully full-time on my own since my mid-20s. I was determined, fucking determined, to not work for anybody else and be told what to do. And now I'm thinking, (coughs) excuse me, and now I'm thinking that ran so deep within me also sexually and whether or not I wanted to be in a relationship with someone or not. And oftentimes I had seen and heard so many stories from friends growing up and starting to have sex really young that it was all a load of crap. And it was, oh, this was like the worst. My first sexual experience was like the worst sexual experience of my life. Like I hated it or what all this stuff. So I was kind of more also guided in this like way to not be with people. And then when I was with somebody, this is the only time I have ever been with someone. And that was a man. And it was for less than six months. We had a lot of sex. But I, I think I orgasmed once. And P was not in V. a lot to say. Excuse me to my parents if they're listening. But even when I had this first relationship with this guy and I was like, oh my God, I'm finally like having sex for the first time. Like, this is great. (laughs) It wasn't great. (laughs) It was not great. It was not great at all. It was terrible. And it also was done super fucking quickly because, again, when the man is done, you're done. 
the whole situation is done. You can just roll over and turn around. Oh, God, I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But very interesting viewpoint for me because I was always so not attracted to being a sexual person or exploring that because I never heard great things about it. And I never wanted to be in this predicament where I was showing up and fulfilling in my duty because I was a woman and because I have the physical cavity in my body to receive. And when I was done with that relationship, I haven't had sex since. And I think it's been like seven years. So I'm like fully celibate, but I basically was celibate before I was with my ex. Um, so it's just, yeah, for me, I mean, I've never wanted to comply in life. I've never wanted to do what everybody else was doing. And I've always known this about myself, but I never thought of it in relation to how I was with romantic partnerships and how I was sexually. And then when I did get to a point where I was sexually active, <laughs> sexually active, I was like, why am I doing this? This is everything that I never wanted to happen when I wasn't having sex. And now that I am having sex, it's happening. And it's because I, there was a lot of reasons, you know, but it's primarily because I was a woman and he was a man. And there were these unspoken standards and defaults that we had to abide by. And me being like a little you know, unexperienced, inexperienced person. I just like would let things happen. And I was like, oh yeah, this is why I don't do this. <laughs> this is exactly why I don't do this. And I just hate that. I hate it for myself. I hated it for myself. I hate it for women. I hate it for women who are still experiencing it today. Um, yeah, I just hate that women are still further pushed to abide, to comply, to shut up and lay down. Fucking hate it. Fucking hate it. So of course, back then, when we didn't have the knowledge that 75 fucking percent of people with a vagina don't experience the same sort of orgasm or sexual experience as the traditional man does. There were words, terms, phrases coined against women for their ineptitude and their inability when it comes to performing sex, not for the desire or the pleasure for themselves, but for men. So a word such as frigid, often defined now as a cool day or cool in temperature outside or when it was to in regards to a woman it was defined and it is defined as abnormally adverse to sexual intercourse and so of course that was used to mock or used harmfully against women so we all have heard of the term frigid bitch 
And then literally in my notes, in parentheses, it says, Kendra, go off here. So go off, I will. Frigid bitch. Mm, what a term. So men would typically use this term, phrase, when a woman would not comply with what they wanted sexually. Um, you would hear this in movies, books, say you go to a bar and um, a guy offers to buy your drink, or maybe they don't even offer to buy your drink, but you're hanging out. Of course, there's this notion on his end that things possibly could go further. And maybe they do. Maybe they do at first. Maybe you fully go home with this guy. And you're like, you know what? He seems interesting. So far seems nice. Let's just go back and hang out. But of course, on the opposite side, this man is like, okay, we're about to, we're about to have sex. So say it even gets that far and the woman or the person, whoever they are, goes, you know what? I actually, I actually think I'm going to head out, but it was really good hanging out with you. And thus the phrase would typically come in because um, men's rage happens at the drop of a dime. And it definitely happens when they don't get what they want, especially if they are sexually frustrated and they are not getting what they want sexually. So then words like, in terms like frigid bitch are used. And it is another great example on how women have basically just been erased through the dawn of time. If, you know, you were a woman, you were expected to uphold these certain things in the household, in the patriarchy, in the neighborhood, whatever. And then to throw on top of that, if you were someone who didn't experience sexual desire the same way, as the overly horny man, then you were further put into a box, especially if you were sexually not on the same level as other women, you were put into another worser box. So yeah, frigid bitch, real funny. Um... Yeah, and it's and then I I wrote here at the time that this word was so willy-nilly being thrown around and used. It's funny that no studies had been done back then to showcase that women are not frigid, but in fact, do not nearly experience this or do not experience the same sex drive as men. But no. We can't just live our lives peacefully. We have to be disregarded and just blamed for us not feeling a certain way in order to accommodate men and a different group of people. And it's just sad. I mean, you know, women had no, not a lot of rights for a long ass time. And there were just, there's just so much to be expected of us. There was so much to be expected of us. And we, it's almost like we're never able to live up to our potential, even like today, because some of these cis heteronormative ways are still so 
deeply ingrained in relationships today and women today. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, anyways, moving on. But speaking of erased, this next section, I'm basically just going to pull a lot of quotes from Sharonda and their book. Um, but when it comes to what we feel that we need to perform for men in this country, that holds a bigger and different meaning for um, people who are black and what they have been demonized and dehumanized as. Because again, this world was created for the cis man, but it was created for the cis white man. It wasn't created for the cis black man. It wasn't created for the cis Hispanic man. It was created for the cis white man. So like I said, I'm going to be pulling just a lot of quotes from the book here because as someone who doesn't have a lot of education, <laughs> thank my public school for that one, on, you know, Black history in the Black community and especially the the harm and the, the dehumanization of Black people, um, Sharonda... They have it all written out here beautifully and perfectly. So I'm just going to be repeating a lot of their words as I am still someone who is learning a lot about the past and through the lens of black individuals. Um, because as a little white girl who was raised in white America, that is all that I learned about. Aside from now, thankfully. So again, um, a quote from Sharonda in their book. This is pretty early on in the book. Sex has, the sex has utility and can be used for many things. And white supremacy often utilizes sex to both carry out and, ex and excuse its racist violence. I do not mean only the act of sex itself, as in colliding and touching of bodies. I also mean everything surrounding sex and one's sexual desirability or appeal or one's sexual preferences or proclivities. I know that word. One's reproduction and also one's reproduction as a result of sex acts stereotypes about one's sexuality. The ways sex becomes gendered and racialized. Yes, I'm just making sure I was saying that word right too and not radicalized. It is racialized, starting from the top. The way sex becomes gendered and ra racialized becomes clearer when we understand sex as utility, especially when we acknowledge the relationship of gendered and racialized people to the nation state and to the systems of cis heteropatriarchy and white supremacy. This is how sexual violence becomes a tool of war, terrorism, control, and various other interpersonal and systemic abuses. Black sexuality, as well as reproduction, becomes heavily policed on interpersonal, social, and judicial levels, as myths of black sexual deviance are cited as proof of the superiority and the purity and the humanity of whiteness. So basically... People, the white, I'm not even going to say people, white people back in the day demonized black people as 
just savage individuals. You know, they were harmful to society. And this is what white people still think of today. I mean, hello, look at our police system right now. Look at our police system since the dawn of time. And so black people have always been under this idea that their sex is somehow, and when they participate in sex, is somehow more intense or grotesque or savage than if white people were to have sex together. And then when you look at, and then when they, you know, they would say, oh, well, two white people, that's a harmonization in sex. It's it's fucking fucked up shit. And among that, there was also this hypersexualization and like adultification also assigned to black children, particularly black girls. Um, so another insert here from Sharonda, historical precedence for this attitude Um, was set by the institution of slavery and the systemic sexual violence it relied on. The rape of black women and black girls, regardless of the race of the rapist, but let's be real, the white rapist, was legal and socially acceptable during slavery and the post-Civil War era. In 1918, the Florida Supreme Court ruled that in cases of statutory rape, the rape of a minor, it would only be considered rape if the victim had been a virgin prior to the assault. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And to piggyback off of that, because of the way the legal system considered chastity, the association of black women with unchastity meant not only that black women could not be victims of statutory rape, but also that they would not be recognized as victims of forcible rape. And I know I mentioned this a little bit in Compulsory Sexuality Part 1, but black women... Black people were just treated poorly during the slave era, of course. But when black women were in the homes reproducing black children and those innocent black children also getting forcefully raped at the ages of six, seven, that was the norm. And it even says it right in here. It wasn't considered rape. If the victim had been a virgin or if the victim had been black, if you had a slave owner who was raping the black women in the house and then raping the black children that were produced from the black women and their sperm, that was their property because black people back then were property. So... Yeah, I mean, just like when it comes to black women, it's they have been (sighs) 
they have been treated so, so, so dishonorably in their entire lifetimes, especially if they were African-American. And to just think about black women today and how they are wanting to honor their ancestors who had no choice in the matter. I mean, what I just said at the beginning of this episode or what I have been talking about is that women in general are victims to men and their abuse and their sexual abuse. But can you imagine the black woman? They are a victim times one billion. And to, I couldn't even just, I couldn't imagine being a woman of color today, thinking back on your ancestors and not just bawling your fucking eyes out and knowing how disgustingly and poorly they were treated. And ancestral trauma is a thing. And black violence is a thing. Not black violence, but violence on black people. Back then, today, 2023, it is a thing. Again, another insert here from Sharonda. They say black people never truly get to be seen as innocent or as children, as separate from sexuality. And yet the same colonial thought process that adultify black youth also demand that black people conform to white cis heteropatriarchal notions of chrononormativity for white society's comfort and demonize us when we do not. When the normal timeline is conceptualized in this image of whiteness and yet another means to reaffirm whiteness and white heterosexuality as superior, blackness will always fail to meet the expectations of this chrononormativity. The eternal failure of black people to meet the white standards set before us, them, and that failure significantly being marked by their mythologized, excuse me, mythologized hypersexuality and lack of innocence is an integral part of white supremacist logics and the eternal project to define whiteness as normal. (sighs) Yeah. So tell me how do black people and people of color fit into the binary of being white? They don't. And guess what? It was created that way for a reason because A lot of people back then today (laughs) don't see black people as equals. They don't even see black people as human. So fucked up. So then what happens when black people try to assimilate the white life? They try to blend into what whiteness means because that has what we as a country have put on all people, white people, people of color and black people, but we've not left room for other people of color. So when people try to, people who are of color who try to assimilate to the white world, 
they will always be ostracized and they will always be looked at as less than to a lot of people. I'm not saying to myself, but sadly to a lot of effing people in this goddamn country. Again, another thing from Sharonda in their book, but even as black people are barred from full entry into white colonial conceptions of gender and sexuality, they are still expected to abide by the social contracts associated with these categories. They are punished for their failure to properly align themselves with white people, even as even as such alignment would be impossible because these categories have been defined against blackness itself. White supremacy cannot be white supremacy without black people. White cisgendered heteronormative sexual sexuality would never have been in place had it not been for the extreme distaste and dehumanization excuse me of black people remember how i said black people were defined as being savage and all of these other vulgar words when it came to just being individuals and having sex itself this is where this comes from we can't have something without the opposition of something and it's fucking hypocritical to sit here and say since the dawn of time and tell people to assimilate to the white world and to white people when that world was solely built in opposition of them. And I pause for a sip of wine. Back into um, women and compulsory sexuality and then into um, black asexuals and compulsory sexuality, which is kind of like the double whammy, if you will, um, for white supremacists and white patriarchy and Republicans. Um, another insert here from Sharonda, they say um, that, oh, excuse me, this is actually an insert from Adrian Rich's book, Compulsory Heter Heterosexuality and the Lesbian Experience, and Sharonda puts this in their book. And it says, messages to women have been precisely that we are the emotional and sexual property of men and that the autonomy and equality of women of women threaten the family and the religion and state. The institution by which women have traditionally been controlled, the patriarchal motherhood, economic exploitation, the nuclear family, compulsory heterosexuality are being strengthened by legislation, religious fiat, media imagery, and efforts at censorship. And this is sadly and very blatantly still going on today when we deal with people like Andrew fucking Tate, who has classically been known as a uber, uber misogynist and who just got detained for human trafficking in, I believe, Ukraine or another country. And that's the, yeah, that's who people are looking up to today. That's who the newer generation is looking up to today. Um, and it's terrible. And again, um, in Sharonda's book, 
these messages and more result in many asexuals and lesbians, specifically asexuals and lesbians, spending years, I, I, I identify with this, spending years mistakenly believing that unsatisfying, miserable, and traumatic experiences with heterosexuality are normal and they're unavoidable and they're also to be expected. Therefore, we may never even consider, up until many years later, hi, hello, me, that we are incompatible and misaligned or at odds with heterosexuality itself. Me, 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 me. I didn't know that for years, because guess what the message was for me for years? Women have to abide by men. Women have to provide for men. Women have to be sexually ready for men. This is a big little um, insert here. One of the second to last um, quotes from Sharonda that I will talk about um, from their book. Um, but this this entire paragraph here is just um, worth everyone knowing. <clears throat> so the dehumanizing hypersexualization of black female bodies compounds many of things explored in the lesbian master doc and the work of Adrian Rich, particularly because, and I'm so sorry if I put this and if I pronounce this wrong, but I think it's Zakia Amon Jackson. Zakia Amon Jackson puts it like this, radicalized formations of gender and sexuality are actually central rather than subsidiary, excuse me, rather than subsidiary to the very human animal binary, binary, binarism. Yeah. (laughs) Hashtag embarrassing. Just kidding. I'm not embarrassed with myself. Binarism. I think it's binarism. Animal binarism. Like the human animal, like binary, but binarism. Anyways, sexual accessibility is constantly demanded of us both via white supremacy and black patriarchy. When we fail to meet the expectations created by centuries old myths built around black sexuality, we can find ourselves on the, you know, they can find ourselves, um, on the receiving end of angry resistance, aggressive sexualization, and even physical violence from those who have written the narrative onto us. Even as we are also shamed for any sexuality that we might express, we might choose to express. Of course, I mean to say that they might choose to express, because this is in the words of Sharonda. Um, When misogyny noir is ever present, and when there is a long history of racist fetish... fetishistic, fetishistic and patriarchal socio-sexual terrorism against black people assigned womanhood, albeit not the same class of womanhood as whiteness affords itself, this undoubtedly has an influence not only to how we understand our sexuality, but also how we are expected to perform womanhood within the Western gender binary. Again, and I saw this um video of it was like a was a horrific video of this black trans woman getting beat up um like physically beaten 
by black men, like a group of them. There was like 20 of them. It was so unfair and not right. But that group of black men, I'm not, I'm not like aligning with them or anything, but that group of black men is just a trying to assimilate to white society that they were forced to assimilate to. And so there is oftentimes a lot of violence within the black community about sexuality because the black community is just trying to be the straight man and the straight woman having sex because that's what they've been told their entire life that they need to do in order to perform, in order to assimilate to this white heteronormative world that we sadly live in. And when people who are black and maybe asexual or black and trans, the level of like just the level of what's wrong with them, which there's nothing wrong with them at all. But what that is viewed as from the black community and also white community and also just any community who is looking at this with the cis heteronormative lens. Like I said earlier, it's almost like a double whammy. Because if you can't be black and assimilate to the white culture, you really can't be black and try to assimilate to a white culture that also you can't identify with sexually because again compulsory sexuality is the idea and the notion that everybody has sexual feelings and desires and compulsory heterosexuality and heteronormative sexuality is that men are owed sex so it's 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 just fucking appalling is what it is um but Sharonda really does put it very well in their book. And um, like I said, I learned a lot from this book. And it doesn't necessarily make me happy. It makes me sad to know this. But um, it's my duty to learn this. So thank you, Sharonda, for, for your words, honestly. And I am sorry that I'm sorry to every black person who has to live in the white cis heteronormative United States that we are in. One last quote from Sharonda, and then I will be moving into some of my examples of compulsory sexuality. But Sharonda says they go black asexuals have the anti-black dehumanization we experience completely. Bounded, compounded by asexual dehumanization. That's why I said double fucking whammy. If blackness and asexuality are both objections that cannot live up to humanness and also whiteness, where does this leave the black asexual? I mean, this fucking leaves the black asexual in a very vulnerable place, which fucking sucks and it's the worst. Um, Sharonda also says Eurocentric humanism needs blackness as a prop in order to erect whiteness, to define its own limits and designate humanity as an achievement, as well as to give form of the category of the animal 
Tethering sex to humanness is simply one more avenue by which white supremacy seeks to enact sexual control, cultivate sexual shame, and reinscribe six, excuse me, reinscribe white cis heteropatriarchal ideas as normal in every arena. The black asexual is rendered impossible through the ill logics of the anti-black sexual racism, white supremacy, and compulsory sexuality. So just kidding. Triple fucking whammy. Triple whammy. World that allows for black asexuals to be seen as possible to live more freely in their sexuality would also be a revolution for all other radicalized, gendered, and queered. Such a world requires us to combat white supremacist ideologies and the very idea of what it means to be human. And that is the damn truth. And it is so fucking sad and terrible. And yeah, there's just, yeah. Anyways. I took some notes when I was reading Sharonda's book and I wrote this in my notes. I said, I didn't realize how political being asexual is. Back then, being ace or lesbian meant that you were dangerous for the economy. If you didn't have children or, you know, being like asexual, you you don't like sex, you probably don't want to have children or you chose not to have children being either lesbian or gay, not having the right to have children back in the day, not having the options or the resources to have children. It was a threat to the economy and cis heteropatriarchy. Society has taught us to reproduce because it makes us spend more. When you're living a life not spending, so therefore being single, not shedding out thousands of dollars for children, childcare, baby formula, baby clothes, it's a problem to the economy and to the world because the this world is based on the economy and the economy is based on this idea that we all need to have the nuclear family because the household that generates cost of living for five individuals is a lot more in line with what the economy wants and needs than those who or maybe a single or a dual income home who don't generate that much money because they don't have children and they don't need the yearly vacations to Disneyland. And I mean, you can still do that with no kids, but all of these things that we have been programmed to do in life is because the economy needs it. If we stop having babies, the economy will plummet. The natural resources of the earth will probably flourish And I think my cousin even said this to me too. There was this, um, I don't know if it was this disease or something, but it eradicated a lot of the population. And when it did that, there was this natural restoration to the earth. And we kind of saw that a little bit um, during COVID when we were all forced to stay home. We weren't emitting that much gas and fumes with our vehicles. We weren't occupying huge buildings and using all that electricity and, you know, energy that way. And the skies cleared up a little bit. The birds came out and sang. There was more growth. 
um, the flowers come springtime. We're on another fucking level. I swear spring 2020, we almost had like two cycles of blooms. If you could remember that, um, because the, us as a population inhabiting this earth, we weren't there to kill it and render it. It had the space to, to bloom and grow. Wild, right? All right. So moving on to the last segment of this episode, I'm here to talk to you guys about some tried and true examples of compulsory sexuality, more so specifically compulsory heterosexuality. Okay. So one of the biggest examples for me personally, what I see, what my narrative has been, what I've seen throughout life and my white little lensed body. Um, And I know this was a definite reality for a lot of other people, women, especially women of color. But one of my biggest examples for compulsory heterosexuality is Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe, her entire life was over-sexualized. And not only was she over-sexualized, she was put and placed in a many, many, many situation where she was expected to do something. She was expected to perform and she was expected to simply be and essentially like not complain. She was taken advantage of most of her adult life. And it is incredibly sad. Like when we think of Marilyn Monroe, we think about this icon and this natural, well, you know, natural beauty, you know, every day I think she even had some work done on her in order to come off in this way. And this, this look, but maybe she didn't have like work done, but she was, you know, she was elevated. Norma Jean Baker now, or not now, well, now she's Marilyn Monroe, even though she's not here, she's still Marilyn Monroe, but Norma Jean Baker to Marilyn Monroe, very different. You know, we had the bleach blonde hair. So there were alterations, of course, made in order for her to fit into the white cis heteronormative idea and vision of what they believed a traditional white woman should look like. So the poor thing was grossly taken advantage of her entire life because she was a woman and because she was sexy and because she was a sex symbol. She had, I think, a couple marriages where she was also treated insanely poorly because this, you know, the cis hetero compulsory sexuality, man and woman, women are supposed to perform. So you can only imagine when you have a wealthy white man who quote unquote owns America's sex symbol, sex icon, she was treated so poorly. And it's not, it's known to a lot of us that she had a lot of mental health issues. She struggled from anxiety, 
there are reports saying that her death was a suicide. There's also reports saying that it was intended, just like how Mac Miller accidentally overdosed. It's sad, but, um, you know, sometimes if some people are not in this life, it's better for others. And we've seen that a lot. We've seen that with a very famous example, Princess Di. <clears throat> Anyways, so not only throughout Marilyn's lifetime was she just grossly mistreated, over-sexualized, oftentimes sexually assaulted, taken advantage of, all of these things. When she passed, there's a couple speculations here. And of course, nothing was ever further done. So these are all speculations because again, even in death, Marilyn still had no autonomy, especially over her body. It is rumored that once Marilyn passed, she went missing for six hours on her way to the mortuary. There is also speculation that said once she arrived to the mortuary, her body was also left for a full 24 hours without doing an autopsy without doing the embalming process, all of that. So again, grossly mistreated, even after her death. Um, so it was rumored that for six hours, she went missing after her death. And I believe there was also uh, something that I've read that said that when the autopsy was finally starting to happen on Marilyn Monroe, they said that her insides were so, um, like they were destroyed. Possible parts could have been missing as well. And that there was no further need to figure out what was wrong because she had already died. I'm not surprised also if there was a large sum of money that was given to the coroner in order to just embalm her and keep it hush-hush. No one has no idea if what happened to her during those six hours after death on her way to the mortuary and nobody knows what happened to her when she was potentially sitting in the mortuary, deceased, for a full day. Now, what makes all of this even worse is the fact that Hugh Hefner is buried right next to Marilyn Monroe. He intentionally bought the plot in uh, that famous Hollywood um, funeral um, 
place. Oh, God, I don't know what this is called. It's not like, you know, they weren't buried underground, but they're at mausoleum. They're in a mausoleum sort of thing. And the um, and also I'm having I'm pulling some of this information right now about Hugh Hefner and Mon- Marilyn Monroe from um, an NPR article by Laura Wamsley called Hugh, Hes- Hugh Hefner's Final Resting Place, the plot he bought next to Marilyn Monroe. And again, this just grossly shows compulsory heterosexuality. Hugh Hefner was one of the most, one of the most wealthiest, powerful white men out there. And of course, he chose, he chooses to use that power. Of course, he's passed. He died at 91. He and Marilyn Monroe were also born the same year, 1926. Um, He intentionally chose, I think he spent, it says $75,000 to buy the drawer next to Monroe in the Los Angeles mausoleum. And again, that shows compulsory heterosexuality, especially compulsory, especially like heteronormative compulsory sexuality and also this goes as far as illegitimate reasonings from men and irresponsible doings from wealthy white men um marilyn monroe of course has no choice in the matter she had no choice when she was alive and she has no she had no choice after death her body went missing, and she has to, has to be buried by Hugh Hefner, who grossly took advantage of her in her career. And in this article by Laura from NPR, Monroe was both the cover and the centerfold for the very first issue of Playboy. And in this issue, she was, of course, nude. And it was said to be the first time in any magazine full color of the famous Marilyn Monroe and also full color of Marilyn Monroe nude. Marilyn Monroe was paid $50 for this photo shoot. And when this was, when this um, issue was launched, Hugh Hefner actually kept his name out of the issue in case it failed. And of course, it didn't fail. And the magazine sold out across the country. And not once did Marilyn Monroe ever receive a thank you to helping Hugh make millions of dollars off of nude Marilyn Monroe photographs. She also had to buy a copy to see it. And she was never compensated more than the original $50 that they gave her. And yet, she sadly has to live in postmortem next to Hugh Hefner. And I don't know, you know how some people have tombstones and they have grave sites but their body may be somewhere else. I don't know if that is the case. It might possibly be the case for Marilyn Monroe, um, 
who knows if she's actually really in there. If somebody does know, please tell me. I'm very interested in this. But um, it's it, even if they were both not in there, physically their bodies, it's the premise of it. It's the fact that Marilyn Monroe never had choice, but all of these other men in her life did have choice. And she didn't. So yeah, I think one of the biggest examples of compulsory sexuality is Marilyn Monroe. Um, She was an icon when she was here. She is still an icon today for just being who she was and being a sexy, beautiful woman who owned her body and owned her curves, but that came with an enormous price in life and after death. And I hate to think about those six to 24 hours where her body was either just laying in an open morgue or who knows. They say she died from an overdose of anxiety pills, but why were the insides of her completely destroyed? I assume potential sexual assault, potential rape. I also assume maybe somebody else did their own embalming for her organs before she got to the mortuary. And ever since I learned that, it has not been able to leave my brain. And I thought it rather fitting to talk about on this podcast episode. Yeah, pretty depressing. Anyways, um, moving on and wrapping up here. My last prime example of... (laughs) Compulsory sexuality and compulsory heterosexuality is the church. It is the church. It is most religions, definitely Christianity, a little bit of Catholicism, um, Mormonism. It's, it's more, I'm just going to say the church in general. Um, But the church upholds man, men. We uphold this guy in the sky (laughs) named Jesus. And the church upholds heteronormative ways of life. That's why they are so against, and I know a lot of people who are religious or go to church There are some churches today that are more accepting. There are also people who are more accepting, but traditionally people who were gay were not seen as people um, from churchgoers and people of the belief of Jesus and strict, rigid religion. Um, And why do you think they didn't love or couldn't have the capacity to love gay people? Because Adam and Eve, it's not Adam and Steve, it's not Eve and Yvette, it's Adam and Eve, it's man and woman. 
And what irks me the most about the church, aside from the heteronormative and compulsory sexuality-ness of it all, is it's one of the biggest organizations and groups of people who I personally find are highly flawed and dangerous, actually, because when you are told to believe a certain thing from the dawn of time to believe about this guy in the sky who is supposed to guide you through life, rid you of all things, but make sure if you're a man, you're having sex with a woman. And if you're a woman, you're having sex with a man. It also just plays into the normativity of the cis patriarchal lifestyle. Husband and wife. Wife needs to stay home and raise the kids. Husband goes off to work. Wife has to receive penetration at any moment's notice. And we must pray to him. Him. He. You know those stickers that say he and then the little dash I meaning like he is bigger, God is bigger. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, it makes, makes the blood boil a little bit there. But when we also think of the church, we also should be thinking of compulsory sexuality. And innocent victims, such as children, primarily little boys, who would be raped and assaulted by men in the church. Because maybe Jesus told them something, that they had to be there for these little boys. They had to provide. And they had to go as far as to violate and harm innocent children because of what their beliefs stated. But not also that, because of what cis-heteronormative sexuality looks like. A man in control of a woman or a child. So like the he, I thing, it just sends chills and makes me just cringe because it's also... Promoting the gloriness of men. Him. He. Man. Our father. And I'm sorry, but men are not at the top of my list, as you all know. And the... How history is played out because of men... I mean, we're in situations that we are in today because of them. And when I think of the church and religion and priests and altar boys, it just, to me, screams compulsory sexuality. So, yeah, those are my two examples. And there are there are plenty more examples of compulsory sexuality um 
also as far as savageness within the black community and their sex. I mean, we can also look at all of the information coming out right now against Meghan and Harry and their kids and how the British monarch did not want to have black children in their in their fucking family web and their history. It's it's so ingrained in us the cis heteronormative sexuality that we must uphold in today and in society. And it's hard for a lot of people to get out of that. And I feel incredibly sorry for those people and I feel sad for them. I feel, of course, sad and frustrated for those of a marginalized community who are also forced and expected to perform a certain way in order to assimilate to this world that was built in opposition to them. And it's just, I mean, you can, yeah, you can just look at it in a lot of ways. Meghan and Harry, Marilyn Monroe, the church, the dichotomy and the dynamic between um, male men in business and women who need to F their way to the top because a woman couldn't be higher up than a man anyways because we were never placed in this category of worth. So actually, for a long time, women did have to screw their way to the top because there was no other way. They could have been a thousand times smarter than any of the men, any of the CEOs, anything. But it was never an option for them. But compulsory sexuality shows us that there is and there was. And for the woman who knew that she needed to be at a certain level in a job, sometimes that's what she had to do. And why is that? Because men believe that they are owed sex. Okay, well, <laughs> there you have it. Who knows if there will be a compulsory sexuality part three and four down the line. Probably, maybe. Um, it's a fascinating topic. Uh, it's a disturbing topic, but it is a topic and an idea and a notion that is still so prevalent in today's society um, and how we operate as a whole, as a system. We must have sex. We must appease the man. We also must procreate. We must help support the economy. We must tell black people to do this. And then we must also go behind their backs and tell them that they have no right to do this because of the color of their skin. It's, it's ongoing in society past, present, and future. And it sucks. <laughs> it really does. But again, thank you all for listening. Um, and thank you for just bearing with me, pausing a lot, and just, you can't see me, but I'm shaking the fuck out of my head 
and rolling my eyes and taping, taking little sips of wine because it's disheartening to talk about because it is the reality. But my job is to talk about it and I will talk about it because there is also a way out of that. Even if you are a straight white woman, there is still a way out of it. But if anything, if I can say anything to people out there on relation to this topic, it's it's that you don't need to comply and you don't need to conform with a certain way of living. You don't need to conform to pleasuring a certain group of people because you've been taught and you are perceived to do such and to also just question question things that happen in your life question whether you want to do something or not question whether you want to go on another date with this person question their motives are they really interested in you or they are they just interested in your fucking vagina? Because I can also guarantee you a lot of the times it's the latter when it comes to men, cis straight men. So just because this world has been a certain way since the dawn of time doesn't mean that you need to comply with the world and what we have always known. And yeah, it's pretty scary to not comply, to be different, to possibly be ostracized, to possibly be called frigid bitch. (laughs) But just own who you are. And especially if you are a woman, know Know your right and know your worthiness and know that you are more than just what is between your legs and what you can do for someone else when it comes to what's between your legs. And also know that you deserve more sexually. You don't deserve a two-minute pump from some jerk who's literally just trying to get off in you. You don't deserve that. Yeah. Um, since this is such a big topic, if you have like any other things that you've thought about when or thought of when I was talking, listening to both of these episodes, let me know. Like it is such a intense conversation that there's I think a lot more that I can also learn about it and just hearing other perspectives of people. It's really fascinating to also hear the perspective of people who were formerly in a cis straight relationship and who are now uh, queer or gay or lesbian and them working out, out of cis heteronormative patriarchal reasoning society relationships. So if this relates to you at all, let me know. Send me an email. Send me a message. You can find me 
on Instagram. You can email me. I have all of my information um, in the description part of this episode. I would love to just, I would love to hear from you. And I would love to learn more about the topic. I would love to hear more perspectives because it is it is quite literally something that affects every single person on this planet. Man, woman, non-binary, black, gay, straight, Hispanic, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your culture, doesn't matter your religion, doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't matter your sexual orientation, doesn't matter what's between your legs, doesn't matter how you present on the outside, and also what's between your legs. It affects everybody. So, yeah, would love to keep the conversation going. All right. Thanks.